Good seeing you. You may be seated. Oh, ye little flock. I guess everybody's getting ready for midnight. Or they're out in their classes. I'm glad you are here with us this evening. Take your Bibles. First, maybe take a pen. And on the top of your notes, you can correct it. I had a slight touch, apparently, of inattentiveness or dyslexia. Um, I put Matthew 24:42. I think I was just in love with the idea of 2442. It's actually Matthew 2242 that we'll be preaching out of. So you can correct your notes if you are a note taker, and you can turn to Matthew 22 and verse 42. We'll come to that in just a moment. But I thought we would take a moment before we jump into the preaching to remind ourselves of the things that we've looked at throughout this year. Uh, I have appreciated immensely the messages that Edward has preached, significant messages on Wednesday night, things that we've learned and listened to. Uh, On the Sunday mornings throughout the year, we started the beginning of the year, some 52 and a half Sundays ago now, on the concept of He leadeth me. You'll see that slide every time you come into church. It always goes through there because it carries our thinking throughout the year. Uh, We looked at in that very first Sunday from Psalm 23 that God establishes first a relationship with us. The Lord is my shepherd. He wants to be your personal savior, your shepherd. And then we went on and looked at throughout the rest of that message and the next Sunday that God does a whole bunch of leading in our life that we're often unaware of or often have to be reminded of. In verse 2 of Psalm 23, he leads us to rest. In verse 3, he leads us to righteousness. In verse 4, he leads us in what is reality. The world is fallen. There is evil in the world. He leads us, verse number 5, to resources, those green pastures. And then he leads us ultimately to rewards that he gives to us. The second message on that, we looked at the fact that he leads us to truth. He leads us through the testings that come into our life. And he ultimately leads us to triumph. And then we went into a long series of walking with God. Now, how many, I'm going to do this tonight because it's Sunday night. How many of you remember any of the Bible characters that we've studied this year? Debbie, give me one. Yeah, any of the ones that we've studied. Anybody? Noah, Moses, any of those? All right. There you go. How many, anybody else? Joshua, not yet. We'll do him in a couple weeks. Edward's jumping ahead. See, I'm testing your knowledge. Don't worry, I wrote it down, so I didn't forget. But I had forgotten, just in case you're wondering. There's some of them I remember. Jacob, we did, yeah, good. By the way, it's not a pass or fail. I'm glad that anybody's willing to guess. Putting you on the spot. Joseph, we studied Joseph. We studied Moses. Do you, does anybody remember the single words that we associated? Of course, we preached several messages, but Noah was associated with what word? Noah found what in the eyes of God? Grace. He found grace in the eyes of God. Abraham, the one word that we focused on was what? Somebody whispered it. Faith. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 4 gives a wonderful picture of how salvation comes to us. We're going to look at that in a couple Wednesday nights. And salvation from chapter 3 is by God's grace, but in chapter 4, it is imputed by faith. The righteousness or the faith of Abraham is what imputed righteousness or counted righteousness to him. 
So we looked at Abraham and his faith. In Jacob, it's a long word or it's a big word. I don't think I'll ask you to try to remember it. The one word that describes the life of Jacob was transformation. He went from Jacob to being what? Israel. All right. So there was a transformation that took place. And each of these characters, while there's lots of truth that we learned about each of these characters, there is a trait that seems to come through in their stories. And Jacob is a life of transformation. It was a life of great uh, trouble and sorrow in the early days, great change that came, and then great struggle later in life. But it's still a life of transformation. Then we looked at Joseph. Does anybody remember the word? Again, I'm putting you on the spot. Anybody remember the word? It's okay if you surrender. If you surrender, uh, surrender. Hey, good. Well done. It's surrender. Yes. Right? We noted that Joseph surrendered to a lot of things, to God's word, God's will, God's way. Through the life of Joseph, it's just one surrender after the next. Instead of getting mad in every change of life that came to him, Joseph simply surrendered to God, and that's the best way to live. And then we looked at Moses, and Moses, the word was, and it was a long series. Moses, I think we went about 12. To, I ended up having 16 messages, so you're welcome that I didn't preach all 16. Uh, but uh, there's 12 that we looked at, and it was deliverance, right? Uh, there was personal deliverance of Moses himself from the life that he had uh, had in the world, but then there was public deliverance of God's people. And so I wanted to remind you of those things, not because uh, it's critically important that you know them, but in a couple of weeks when we go back into the series of the walking series, it'll be good to refresh in your mind, uh, oh, we've studied these characters already. You can go back and you can study and to read those passages. Well, with that in mind of the Bible characters tonight, I want to look at responding to Jesus. What, what does it mean to respond to Jesus? It's a end-of-the-year message. You know, most churches, uh, not most, some churches that are brave and bold will have what they call a watch night service. Anybody been to a watch night service before? I have too. I fell asleep usually about the first four or five minutes of it. Not that they're not good, but it was always hard for me. I, I go to bed every night between 9 and 10 o'clock. You can ask my wife, like clockwork. Uh, I go to bed between 9 and 10 o'clock and... When you have a watch night service, you better watch out because I'm not going to make it. So we've never done those here. I commend those that can uh, as well. But it's on these kind of services that we look back and we look forward. And so what I thought I would do tonight is kind of tie into the Christmas season and look at what it means to respond to Jesus. Well, I ask you to turn to Matthew 22 and you say this has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. You're right. But it does have to do with a question that Jesus asks that I think is at the heart of every person in the Gospels' response or interaction with Jesus himself. If you pick up the reading in verse 41, the Bible says this, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What does he say to them? Read it for me if you can. What? Whose son is he? The question is, what think ye of Christ? In other words, who do you think he is? How are you going to respond to Jesus? Now, I, I would gather that all of us in here on this Sunday evening are believers in Jesus Christ. I, I don't stand here thinking that we're not believers in Jesus Christ. But the response that we're going to look at, we'll look at six of them and then look at our final response that we're to have as a group and as individuals uh, together at the end, the responses of people to Jesus 
tell you everything about those people. They're windows or pictures into the soul, into the way in which we think. And each of them, especially in the birth of Christ or in the early life of Jesus Christ, they really give us a wonderful picture as to how each of us respond to Jesus as well. Let's pray and we'll jump right into the preaching this evening. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come around the Word of God. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its purpose. And tonight I pray that you would use it in our lives. Allow it to affect change. But Lord, if nothing else, allow it to help us be reflective tonight, to think inwardly so that we might act properly in our outer man, that which the world sees. Bless as I pray this evening as we come to these truths in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we finish 2023, I want to look at six responses to Jesus. They give us a look into the soul of man as it responds to the fact and the truth of who Christ is. This message is going to be really a simple look into the life of an individual. We're not going to be exhaustive tonight. We're going to be informative in nature. But each of these people give us a spectrum of responses that are appropriate ways to respond to God's presence and his purpose in coming into your life or intersecting your life. The question we read is from Jesus, and it is an important one. So we begin this evening with Joseph patiently watching. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to go between Matthew 1 and Luke chapters, or Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2, so that we see the response of each of these people to the announcement of Christ. Oh, if you wanted to, I could go to and we could study the apostles. And we can see when Christ calls them, how they come to him, how Peter and Andrew respond, how Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, that Jesus speaks to him. But what I want to do is focus on stories that we know so well, because they teach us things. Joseph patiently, well, I say waited. You can put watches. Apparently, it's been a bad week around here. I did not update that slide, did it? Okay. Well, there's going to be another one that says waited, and it should say watches, or it might say watches, and it should say waited. I noticed these things on Friday, and it didn't change. I don't know why. Okay, forgive me. There's a lot of forgiveness that must go around this evening. Uh, I'll forgive you for, for not forgiving me, but I hope you'll forgive me. All right, just put patiently watches. This is, by the way, in case you all ever think I'm not perfect in my preparation or perfect in my preaching, this is just to make sure you got something on me down the road, all right? Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says, I do know the Bible, so let's go to that. That's a safe place to dwell. Uh, The story begins of Joseph in chapter 1 and verse number 18. It tells us that the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise or in this manner after this fashion. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child. And so we find Joseph in this very precarious position, watching and waiting to see what was going to happen in the life of his spouse of his spouse. Well, if you look in verse 24, you find this man, Joseph, patient and observant of all the things that God says. The Bible says in verse number 24, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. This is a story of a man who was both uncertain and unsure of what was going on. 
as we have heard preached and I have preached before, I can't possibly imagine what it was like to be in Joseph's position. To be engaged to, espoused to a woman who was chaste and who was filled with the love of God to find out that she was pregnant, he had no answers. That's why the Bible says in this very passage that he was minded to put her away privately or privately. What this tells us is that when God came and revealed himself to Joseph, all he could do is patiently watch God work. He was out of control. In other words, it was beyond his control. There was nothing he could do about it. I guess he could have acted in the flesh and put her away and left. And the answer is, thank goodness he didn't. His response was, God said this is what happened. I can't explain why this happened. I can't explain how this happened. But this is what God told me. So I will patiently watch and see how God works. If God said it, that settles it, was the mind of Joseph. It really begs the question as we think of watching and waiting on the Lord, how much do you trust God? Would you have had the same kind of faith that Joseph demonstrated? What a response. I would hope that we would. Do you believe what God tells you is in fact so? It is remarkable the faith of Joseph. Before the arrival of the angel, he's disappointed and he's discouraged over Mary being found with child. He knows she fears God, but he cannot explain what his eyes clearly see. When God tells him who it is that Mary is carrying in her womb, Joseph turns to his faith in God. May I suggest to you, when life throws curveballs at you this coming year, and there's a great possibility of many curveballs coming our way, when it does, turn to your faith and patiently watch the Lord and see Him work. Responding to Jesus means responding to the events and the eventualities of our lives in and by our faith. It means patiently watching for God's will and for God's way to play out, even if we can't explain it. Next, we come to Mary. I think this one should be right. Hallelujah. Mary represents not so much patiently watching (coughs) or waiting, but praise and worship. If we were to distill the response of Mary to the Christ child, it would be praise if we looked in Luke, 4, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. It is her song of praise that she gives. But Mary also is a worshiper of God. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, we all know the Christmas story. After the shepherds leave, the Bible says this of Mary, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That speaks to the fact that she sat and meditated upon all that God was doing through her life. She meditated on the fact of what God's work meant and what God's will was. Mary here seems to be a woman of deep reflection, deep introspection, Those who are filled with praise and worship of God are such people, and it is a proper response to God in worship to Him. By the way, this idea of deep reflection seems to be a common trait for all the Marys of the Bible. 
It seems to be a trait found in Mary's. Mary, it seems, one, is the woman who was of the town of, uh, of, of the harlots who came and wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. Mary and Martha, the two sisters, Mary is the worshiper. It seems to be a consistent trait throughout the New Testament for these ladies named Mary. Of course, as I noted, she sings a song praising both the goodness and grace of God. And so I ask you, do you praise God? Do you sing to God? A proper response to Jesus is a heart filled with joy, so overflowing with joy and satisfaction that it cannot help but to burst out into song. One of the great truths of church and Christian ministry to tell the health and the tenor of the church, the direction that it's going, is to see people sing. Now, sometimes we might pick songs you don't know. Or maybe we're teaching you new ones and you don't want to sing very loud. But there should still be a heart with a desire to sing. It's the proper response to God. And so she comes with praise in her song. But she also ponders in worship after the shepherds arrived. They came telling of the angelic choir who had announced Jesus' birth. Stop and think about that. She is just told that that child that she delivered had a choir of angels singing to strangers out in a pasture. Can you imagine what that would do to the human soul, to that woman who had just born that child? It certainly struck a chord with Mary. It was certainly something that she was joyful over. This child to her in that moment was not just a personal Savior whom she had sung about in chapter 1, but now was a powerful Redeemer for all mankind because the angels told these strangers He will save His people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord. It was a message that would sustain her throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. When we come to John chapter 4, you find it is Mary who asks Jesus to turn the water into wine at the marriage supper of Cana. If you ever go and read that story, it's a wonderful interaction between Jesus in his human flesh and his human mother. He says to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? He's not being disrespectful to his mother there. He's saying, mom, you're asking me to do this. And he does it. What a joy. Can you imagine the depth of the worship that welled in her heart that her son was willing to do this at her very request? Boy, that teaches us something that God will work if we ask him earnestly. Again, we can see the praise and the pondering worship that is Mary's at the cross of Calvary. One of the most compelling passages of the crucifixion, and all of them for the Christian are compelling, but one of the most striking, I think, in them is when Jesus looks at Mary and says, Woman, behold thy son. This is what I came to do. This is why I was born miraculously. This woman who was filled with praise and worship was filled with praise and worship her whole life through. This is a proper response. Just like 
sitting back and patiently watching God work. This too is a proper response to God. And in each situation, every circumstance of life is different, but each of these people show us an appropriate response to Jesus and to God and His working. Next, of course, in the story, we find the shepherds. The shepherds show us praise and witness. It's a little bit different than praise and worship. The story for the shepherds unfolds, of course, in Luke chapter number 2. You can read that passage. You probably did. We did on Christmas morning. It's our tradition in our family. I actually learned that from my father-in-law. Our family did a lot of devotions and other things on Christmas, but it was my father-in-law when I married Jessica, and we went out there on Christmas Day. It was, we're reading this before we open presents. I loved that idea. I loved it. It's a great tradition. We've continued it in our home. The shepherds had praise and witness. In chapter 2 of Luke, in verse 15, we pick up the reading, and it says this, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass. Let's prove if it's true. By the way, any good faith can be tested. And so they're acting in faith, and they're testing their faith. Which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Here is not just their praise, but this is their witness. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. In ver- uh, it goes on and says the shepherds are perfect. Excuse me. It goes on in verse 20 and tells us the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. These shepherds are the perfect picture of a new believer in Jesus Christ. They hear the news that the Christ child has come and it's been revealed to them. They go to test their faith and find it's proven true and in the process begin talking one to another, praising the Lord together, and then go out and witness. That is exactly what the church is supposed to do. We receive the good news of Jesus Christ. We together confirm what we've heard, praising together. And then when we leave these four walls, we go out telling everyone everywhere about Jesus Christ. That's the church. The shepherds are the earliest picture of what the church would do. They talk among themselves, all confirming and encouraging one another as they go From the Christ child, everywhere they go, they tell everyone they know what they have experienced and heard from God is collectively true. That's what a church does. They praise God for revealing His Son to them, and they witness of the truth that they have in believing in Him. Friend, that ought to be the response of every person in here. That we would be together in our common faith as a church... And that we would be telling others about our faith in Jesus Christ. Next we come to Simeon. I'm doing this on purpose tonight. You might be watching and saying, well, I don't respond to Jesus in that way. Okay, there's multiple different people and personality types. We all have different giftings in the church. And so maybe you're one that patiently watches or one that praises and worships or one that praises and witnesses, or perhaps you're one like Simeon who prophetically, or we might say biblically, but I needed a P for sure, waits. Here's my other waiting man. 
This guy is properly waits or waits is waiting. He's prophetically waiting. What does that mean? It's Sunday night. We're certainly much more casual on Sunday night and then Wednesday night. <clears throat> what is prophetic waiting? What do you think I mean by that? Yes. Trusting God's word. Simeon is the perfect picture of trusting God's word. Here in Luke chapter 2, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 2, if you're there, if you're not, you can turn there. In Luke chapter 2, when we come to Simeon and Anna, it's eight days on from Christ's birth. and They bring him up to the temple for the ceremony of circumcision. And as they bring him up to that place, Simeon is there. The Bible tells us of this man, Simeon. The Bible says in verse number 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. We'll come to the passage in just a moment in verse 29 that's key, but let's set the context. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation or encouragement, lifting up of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law... Then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll get to what he said in just a moment, but this is the man who is waiting for the word of God to come true. You know, there's some people in our church family that they know what they're doing is right according to the word of God, and they're just waiting to see that patience, that prophetic pause to come to fruition. That is a proper response to truth and to what the word of God says. The Bible tells us that Simeon was just and devout concerning what God had said he would do for both him and for Israel. Simeon knew the prophecies of restoration and hope. He knew a child would come. The prophet Isaiah, as we've looked at over the last five Sunday mornings, told him as much. How well do we know then God's promises? What is it that we are waiting for God to do that we know he says he will do from his book? You know, the one that everybody gets right is, I'm waiting for the Lord to come back. Well, I, everyone should be looking for that. Even so, come Lord Jesus is how we ought to pray. But what other things do you hope and look for from truths in the word of God that God says he will do? And you wait for him and respond to him by saying, I want you to do that thing. We often hear people talk about the passage in 2 Chronicles, if we humble ourselves and pray, he'll hear us. If you go on and read in 2 Chronicles chapter, I said 2, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If you continue in 2 Chronicles 7, there's a lot of things that the people had to do to clean themselves up. Not so that God would reveal themselves, but God's not going to answer a Hail Mary pass where we're just throwing one down the field hoping that somebody catches it. God says, I'll heal your land, but there's some things you need to do to heal yourself, so I'll heal your land. We can't just pray a prayer and hope something happens. No, there's biblical action steps that often we must take so that we put feet to those prayers. Simeon was prophetically waiting. Where was he waiting? In the temple. What does that mean? That means as he waited in the temple, God told him that the anointed Christ would come to that temple. 
That child that was given, that son that would be born from Isaiah's prophecy, that it would come to that temple. He waited patiently knowing what God's word said. Do you know the Bible well enough to wait on God in such a way? Old Simeon waited on the living word by holding on to the revealed word that God had given to him. We should do the same. When Jesus was brought before him, listen to what his words are in chapter 2 and verse 29. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He knew exactly the prophecy of Isaiah that we've been preaching on in the morning. Those who know God's word make a great impact on others around them. May I say to you, a great response to Jesus is to learn his book. If you know his word, then you know the living word himself. Luke records that Joseph and Mary, if you continue reading in Luke chapter 2, that Joseph and Mary marvel. It literally has the idea that they are dumbstruck. They can't even speak. They are amazed at the truth revealed to them about their son. Now, mind you... Both Mary and Joseph had had angels reveal to them who this Christ child would be. But they were dumbstruck at the fact that old Simeon was standing there prophetically waiting for God's word to come true. That's moving when you see people trust God's word so confidently. Well, next we come to Anna. Anna proclaims the word. Luke chapter 2 and verse 38 says this, And she, Anna, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. We know, if we know the passage, that Anna is likely very old. Probably 104. It says that she was married seven years from her virginity. That would probably be age 13 in the Jewish culture where they would have their bar mitzvah. And she was probably 20 when her husband died. And it says from that date, she lived four score and four years, another 84 years. I can do simple math. 84 plus 20 is 104. That's how old she is. And old Simeon was the one that said he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And here we have one older than him, Anna. And all she's doing is ministering in the court of the women outside the temple, the place that she as a woman could get closest to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. She was right there. That's what she was doing. By the way, Mary would have to come in and in front of her or at least around her to the priest in the court of the women to be declared pure after the birth of her child. It was a customary thing according to the law. As Jesus, as the child, would be circumcised, Mary would be declared pure or at least in the purification process. And so Anna was there, ready to help, ready to do whatever. But Anna was just there for one reason, to tell people about the word of God. Some of the greatest responses to Jesus Christ are from godly wives and godly moms. Because they're ready to proclaim the word. I joke. 
I actually have to say this sometimes out loud. I joke when people leave, when they say, oh, that was a great message today. I say, great, Jessica wrote it. I can tell you she doesn't write the sermons. I'll say that emphatically tonight. Because if she did, they would probably be a lot better than the ones that I preached. My wife knows the Bible as well, if not better, than I do. There's many times where I come to her and say, yeah, I don't feel right about X or Y, and I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And she will give me an answer that is wonderfully sound biblical knowledge, and I'll say, yeah, why didn't I think of that? I mean, all of us do that, by the way. Anna is a wonderful picture of a godly woman ready to tell the truth about Jesus. That is a proper response to be ready to proclaim the word. Oh, it's not just reserved to women. Men, we should be ready to proclaim the word of God as well. Anna does not waste time and energy on all the important things of life that she could have been talking about in that moment. No, from what we read in the Bible, with the limited time that she felt like she had left, she focuses on the core issue of life, proclaiming the truth, that is the word of God. That's what her focus was. I'm just going to tell you, I found a redeemer. That's the only thing that's important. A word of reconciliation is what she gave out. That's what Paul admonished the Corinthian believers to do, that we are to be ministering out a word of reconciliation. Anna simply states the truth. Are you looking for redemption from your sins? I have found him. That's what it means to proclaim the word, the living word of God. Finally, we come to the Magi. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. I've bounced these around. I did them chronologically. I did not do them so that you could stay in Matthew 1 and 2 and then skip over to chapters 1 and 2 of Luke. That would have probably been much easier. I've never claimed to do anything easily. In Matthew chapter 2, you have the Magi who arrive. Unlike the little kid that said one time, the gift of the magpie, it is the Magi, not the magpie. By the way, did you hear the dad joke? I have a great dad joke. My kids tell me I shouldn't be giving out dad jokes. But uh, did you hear that the Magi, or the wise men, when they came, only gave two of the three gifts to Jesus? They gave him gold and frankincense, but then they realized there was no myrrh. That's a dad joke. You'll get some of you get it later because it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but there was no myrrh. Anyway, I did that part of explaining so the rest of you could catch up. <clears throat> the Magi were purposeful workers. They purposely worked. That's what we ought to be doing. It's a proper response to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> The Magi, by the way, are descendants. The wise men, that's what they're called. I have to be careful. The phrase wise men actually in the original language is magos, and it sounds a lot like maga, but we'll just say they are the magos, they're the wise men, they're the magi, the magicians that would have been spoken of in Daniel's day. Daniel was called the master of the magicians by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 and verse 9. These magi see Jesus' star in the east, and it causes them to act, we're told in the story. It took them time to gather their provisions and resources, then to travel to Jerusalem, probably some 700 miles from the Chaldees through the desert. 
Ultimately, we find that they had to locate the family, but their hard work and their efforts in responding to the star and knowing that it spoke of the Christ was rewarded by them meeting Jesus. When we purposefully engage in the work of God because of what God has done for us or just who God is, it's always rewarded. By the way, we we find in the Matthew passage that Jesus is a young child. Again, in the original language, the phrase young child is pedon. It's different from the phrase, he was a babe lying in the manger, which is brifas in the original, in the Koine Greek. It indicates to us then that there was some time that had passed between Jesus' birth and the arrival of the Magi or the wise men. How much time? Your guess is as good as mine. We know from the story in Matthew 2 that Herod is so terrified that there is a king of the Jews that has been born that he has every boy, every male child under the age of two killed. So it's likely that Jesus is under that age when they told him when the star appeared in the heavens. Speaking of these magi then, it takes time often as we respond to Jesus to see the fruit of our labor. You know, a lot of people will jump into working for Jesus right after they get saved. Man, I'm just going to set the world on fire. And that's fine. But you have to learn the lesson that a proper response to Jesus is purposeful and sometimes even tedious work. Living down in the details. These guys, to make it from there to find Jesus was no small feat. And when we hear the Christmas story, we're like, oh, yeah, they got on three camels and they traveled around. By the way, we're never told that it's three We just know that they gave three gifts. It might have been ten of them. It might have been two of them. We just know that they offered three gifts. The reward for our work will come as we're diligent in the task. But it it is a proper response to who Jesus is. We ought to still work diligently as we draw nearer to Him. Their personal response was the same as every other, to worship the Christ child. But to get to that moment of worship, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of preparation that had to go into it. Matthew 2 and verse 11 says, When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. By the way, when we work to find Jesus in response to who God is. When we work to find Him in every detail, in every choice of our life, and we make that effort, we will also worship Him as we respond obediently to Him. Oh, that we would work and worship Jesus Christ as they did. This brings us to our closing thought then this evening. And that is, what should our response to Jesus be? How are we to respond to him? The answer is we promise to walk. And yes, I did that purposely because we've looked a lot at walking this year. Our response is everywhere Jesus goes, I will go. All of the other responses are right, and all of the other responses have their place in each of our lives in certain circumstances. Sometimes we just have to patiently watch. Sometimes we are praising and worshiping. Other times we are praising and witnessing. Sometimes it's waiting on the Word of God, prophetically waiting for God to work. Sometimes it's out proclaiming the Word of God. And other times 
Like those magi, we are purposefully working. But our responsibility daily is to promise him we'll walk with him wherever he goes. That's what's required of us. And so this has been our theme throughout this year and we'll continue into next. Next year, as we'll look at next Sunday morning, we'll be set around, he shall direct thy paths. If we're walking with him, if he's leading us, then he's going to show us each step that we're supposed to take. By the way, make no mistake, in 2024, we're going to have a lot of big decisions to make as a church. I don't know if you were here on Christmas morning. I think most of you were. It was tight. (laughs) There's a lot more souls that need Jesus in central Kentucky. It's going to get a lot tighter in here. And so as we go through 24, we're going to have to ask God to make it very obvious. Do we need three Sunday morning services? Do some need to come to an extra, to the early service? Because, well, it's not convenient, but it'll help the church. Praise the Lord. We'll look at that, excuse me, we'll look at that in detail next week. But our promise to God is that we'll walk with Him wherever He leads us. Three things that make up this walk. First, see the opportunities. I said see, I meant seek put my glasses on, I could have said it right. Seek opportunities. I have about five minutes of voice left. I can feel it. I promise to make it. Friends, you can't serve God if you don't seek to serve God. You just can't. You can't find people who need Jesus if you don't seek people in their need for Jesus. You cannot please God if you do not seek the right pathway to live your life from the Bible. It's just not going to accidentally happen. You have to seek for the opportunity. You say, well, I'm waiting for God to give me the right opportunity. You'll never find it. You have to seek for that opportunity. Promise to walk with God in 24 by seeking opportunities that God will provide. Ask him, God, I want you to make obvious a ministry that I can have in the church. I, I, want to make, I want you to make obvious a neighbor that I can reach for Jesus Christ. Seek the opportunities. Number two underneath this, show obedience. That means be open about your reason for living the way you live. Tell people why you talk, act, think, and do the things that you do. You're a Christian, and your actions should demonstrate your Christian faith to the whole world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Show your love for God. Show your appreciation for Christ. That's what obedience is. Show that you're different from the world. Don't be of the world. Merely be a Christian who has to live in this old world. The final thing is to see the obvious. We seek opportunities, we show our obedience outwardly, and then we see the obvious. And you say, what does that mean? Just watch God work. You and I can't make God work. We can watch God work. What we can do is seek the opportunity and show our obedience. And then as we do those things, God will say, yes, I'd love to pour out my blessing, my presence upon you, my power, my enabling upon you. If you will promise to walk with God, 
and you keep that promise by walking with Him daily, you will be a different person 366 days from now. <clears throat> it's a leap year in case you didn't know. In closing, we are to patiently watch. We are to praise and worship. We are to praise and witness. We are to prophetically wait. We are to proclaim the word and we're to <clears throat> purposefully work all because we promise God that we will walk with him. All of these people teach us these simple principles. I encourage you, if nothing else in studying the Bible this year, look for people and try to find their pattern. When you look for people in the Bible, someone like Anna, don't just read the story and go, huh, that's interesting. Ask yourself, what was Anna doing? Why is she important? If every word of God is important and he only gave us 66 books of the Bible, trust me, every word is significant. Why was Anna put in the Bible? It teaches a lesson. Oh, I promise if you will walk with God, you will have a 2024 that will be better than any year that you've had so far. Let's close tonight in a word of prayer. Father, we